What's up, y'all? Welcome to the Sports Medicine Broadcast, a podcast to promote and improve your practice as an athletic trainer. I am Jeremy Jackson, the host, but we have Dr. Natalie Nimecheck. Did I say that right, Natalie? No. No. See, no, I do it. <laughs> That's why I don't. I, I, I swear, every time I ask somebody how to say their name, I, I mess it up. I swear. I promise every single time. Neem, is it Nimecheck? Dr. Natalie. Dr. Natalie? Yeah. Okay, but you had to tell me. So now, now I'm going to be confused, and I'll probably confuse Todd. <laughs> You say Nimchak. 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 Yeah. Okay. So we asked Natalie at the beginning how to say it, and I was close, and I was like, I think it's this way. All right, Nimchak. 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 So Todd, don't mess it up. It's okay if I mess it up, but you can't do it. All right. Yeah, I got it. <laughs> so today, Dr. Natalie Nimchak, DBT, owner of Revolution Running Company and Revolution Running Physical Therapy, is going to discuss running medicine. So she has completed quite a bit of running, uh, including 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, mar- uh, full marathons, sprints, triathlons, Olympic distance triathlons, full and half Ironmans over the past 11 years. That is a lot of running. And we have uh, my friend Keith Shireman checking in. He's also doing Ironman stuff. He does a lot of running. Um, and so he's interested here in the, the running medicine. So he's watching us live on Facebook. She is also a certified running technique specialist and a certified canine rehab practitioner so that that sounds like a lot of fun and then i know on instagram i saw some of your pictures where you're running with your kid and so talking about running strollers and things like that because we have a six-month-old foster daughter and i didn't get get into running until probably like two years ago and so mm-hmm. it's been really cool to be able to just put her in that and then just go run yeah, um, yeah. it's definitely like a, a difference though because you have to adjust how you run and the gate and uh, making sure you're not always one hand up and you're switching it. And plus, you know, you got your fitness tracker watch, so you can't cheat yourself on the steps, right? So you got to make sure you're, <laughs> you're mindful of that. So, so we'll cover all of that and more. So I'm excited to have Nat- Natalie on and I could tell it was going to be a fun conversation just whenever she had, what's up? Whenever she first like got on. So some people were like a little nervous, but she was just jumping right in. So this is sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Natalie DPT. So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Natalie DPT. And she's already got lots of links in the show notes uh, and references and things like that. And so I'll make sure those are included in the show notes. Again, sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash Natalie DPT. And Todd is going to do most of the questions. So take it away, Todd. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Natalie, for hopping on and getting through all those technical difficulties. <laughs> I've, I've been personally excited for this I mean, I, I probably messaged you back in, I don't know, February or March um, because I, it was my first spring season at my new high school that I'm working at, mm-hmm. and we just had shin splints left and right, and I was just so overwhelmed. And I was like, we need to get a, we need to get a, a, run, a running medicine, physical therapist, athletic trainer, whatever it was. We need somebody on the podcast to talk about this stuff because I'm mm-hmm. lost. I feel super lo- – it, it, it was just bad. So I'm so happy you're on today. Thank um, you. Before, before we get into the actual questions, and this will kind of tie into some of them too, but just give us a little bit of background on you know your education and kind of how you got to where you are today. So I graduated from uh, Stony Brook University in 2015. So I've been practicing for the past five years. Um, I did come out as a generalist, but I also was one day a week I would travel up to, I'm in New York, so I would travel up to Connecticut because that's where I could practice canine rehab. So I traveled up there once a week, took like three hours each way to go up there. Um, And I worked with canines and I really thought about going in that direction, but you can't uh, practice on canines in New York state 
as a physical therapist, you have to be either a veterinarian or a vet technician. So I thought about that and if we would move and all these things and it was, it just became something really tough. So I had to kind of just let that go. And then I tried to just focus on my other passion, which was running. Cause those have always been my two passions, dogs and running. So, um, then I started to look into, you know, in terms of taking my passion, but I want to have the knowledge base behind it to be able to provide people with the information that was the best information that they could get. So um, I reached out to one of my mentors from college and he was big with, with runners and running related injuries. So I reached out to him and he helped guide me in terms of these, these are the researchers you want to look at. These are some courses you might want to look at. And he helped kind of guide me to, you know, what kind of direction I should take from there. But um, I obtained my certificate um, as a strength and conditioning specialist. I also did that because I felt like that was a little piece that was missing in terms of being able to provide people with the proper strengthening programs. So I feel like that helped me um, in that sense. And then I also became a running coach, an RRCA running coach, because I wanted to make sure that we tied everything together. So that's pretty much the past few years, I guess. <laughs> awesome. The, uh, the canine thing is super interesting to me. And I will say, if, if I usually don't do these from home. So if you hear my, my dogs bark, uh, maybe give me some advice on them. Um, so what made you what made you decide to, to get in that actual running medicine? I know you said, you know, running and canines were kind of your passion. Um, and you, obviously you couldn't practice in New York, you said, for with canines. But was there a certain thing about running that you were like, you know, I, I really want to specialize in this? Uh, there's something missing. I feel like I can provide a, a ton of value for for my you know future clients and patients. What what was that kind of that thing that made you get into it? So I think between your own injuries and then f and people that you knew who were runners who were getting injured, I felt kind of not compelled, but like I felt like I wanted to learn it. And when I for me personally, when I have passion behind what I'm learning, I can learn anything. But if you wanted me to learn about like I don't know, something that wasn't really like a huge interest of mine. It's it's tough for me to to relate and want to learn more about it. So I feel like because I had the passion behind it, I also feel like there's so much value in specialties right now. There's, you know, there's there's general practitioners, but it, it to an extent, there's so many different injuries that you can have and so many different sports, so many different things. I feel like right now there's such huge value in really honing in on one particular issue that so you can kind of target that group and build a little niche for yourself. I feel like that's so important. And, and it also allows you to gain as much knowledge in that particular specialty versus trying to learn about all these other different areas where it's like, okay, now we're talking about a soccer player. Now you're talking about someone who's, I don't know, rides horses or like, like you can't, it's tough to take all those things and learn everything you possibly can. So I feel like there's just so much value in a, in a specialty be, to be able to like really focus and hone in on one area. And I do think it's missing. I think there's a couple, there's some PTs out there that, that specialize, but I feel like I wanted to gain as much knowledge as I possibly could to cover the whole gamut of running from injury to injury prevention to coaching and have like the entire, you know, um, life cycle of a runner covered, you know? That's so cool. I think, I think Jeremy could probably identify with this, um, as an athletic trainer, I feel like you got to be a jack of all trades at some point yeah. because you work with so many sports and different age groups and all that. 
So the idea of specialization to me is, is, is really, really cool. And it's partially why I wanted to get into more of the business side of things too, and make a little bit more specialization. The one thing that, that I've learned, you know, taking in some business mentorship um, courses and just talking to a lot of entrepreneurs is the idea of niching down and specializing in a certain area, which can be pretty scary when you're first kind of like thinking through like, like you want me to like lessen the amount of people that I'm going to work with. Isn't that going to, you know, potentially make, make my business fail or, you know what I mean? So um, can you kind of talk about that a little bit about like how you, it's, it's almost like not a, not like not a scarcity mindset, but an abundance mindset, because although you're going to, you're kind of lessening the amount of people you're going to work with in the future, the experience and the knowledge that you have in that particular area can open you up to that entire, even though it's a smaller niche of people, you can help that entire, that entire group. Of, you know what I'm saying? Can you talk mm -hmm. about that for a little bit? So that was the biggest thing when, uh, when I thought about opening my own practice, because of course you have like my parents who are like, Nat, you got to, you got to see everybody. You got to see as many people as you can see. And you have to, you have to build your business on like physical therapy. And I'm like, but there's so many places out there that yes, they see, and especially in New York state. I mean, our, I mean, I know it's, it's everywhere, but I feel like New York, especially with, with the reimbursement rates being so low and how many patients you see an hour, it's just, it's unrealistic to be able to give that person that individualized time. So I, I think it's, it's tough to go in there as a generalist at this point. I feel like it was either for me, it was either I was going to go into this niche and try to build. And what I'm hoping is like, of course, like I said, my father's like, well, how do you know people are going to travel from different areas? I'm like, people will travel. If you're a runner or you're a triathlete and you, want answers with your injury and you've been seeing a therapist who's maybe that's not their specialty or not something that they're focused on. They're just going to keep the problem is the injury. They're just going to keep getting injured. And then they don't have answers to what their issue is because someone's not able to really look at that. And as a runner, really look at, okay, what's going on with their gait, what's going on with, you know, how they move and their nutrition program after and recovery. And because you're, a generalist and it's not saying that you're not providing the best treatment for them you can you're addressing their issue but it's it's tough because you get to a certain point where you address their issue but now they're going back to running so now you're reapplying that load you need to address that as they run and i feel like that's it's it's a big missing space i think especially with how many people you usually see an hour and you're just trying to get through and okay i can provide this treatment but then where's like that gate analysis and things like that and um, it is scary to go into a niche because I feel like you think are, are people, <laughs> I think that are people going to, are people going to come to me? You know, am I going to have enough people to be able to support my business? But the truth is, is I think people are finding out more and more that value with specialty that they want someone who really specializes in this particular niche and they will travel and they will come to you. So I, I think it, I mean, I, after pregnancy, I went and saw a, um, before, like during my pregnancy and after I saw a uh, pelvic PT, that's also another big specialty in it, you know, and there's so much value in that because I got to see her and have a totally different exam, a totally different outlook on my rehab. And I'm a physical therapist. So I found so much value because that was her specialty. So I'm, I think there's just so much value in it, but no, yeah, completely agree. I um, I forget who said the original quote, um, and I just read through a book, but it, it, kind of the gist of it was 
if you can have a hundred true fans, you can, you can run your business. And when you, when you niche down, I think that's, it's, it's almost easier to do that because those people are going to be invested in you and you're going to be giving them exactly what they want. Mm -hmm. Um, what I know you said people and you're completely correct. If if you're providing that value and exactly what people want, they'll drive to you. They'll travel, they travel Mm -hmm. from hours away, different States, whatever. Are you going to be also providing online programming or coaching or analysis or anything like that? Yes, that is something I'm looking into. Again, as you could tell, since I'm not as good with technology, I have to, I have to bridge that gap and and you know take the proper steps to make sure that um, I do that the right way. But I will offer virtual services as well because that's a whole nother outlet that I think is opening, especially after COVID and um, online virtual PT and things like that. And that's something that I want a whole nother segment to. Yeah, so I just have to make sure I do that right. <laughs> Sure, sure. No, that's great. Um, and this 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 next question kind of piggybacks what we've already been talking about. But how valuable do you think your? And I I think I read the question kind of confusingly on the Google sheet. But you being a runner yourself, how important do you feel that is to treating treating runners every day? Like be, being a being a practitioner, and it's kind of how I always phrase it: being a practitioner of what you're actually doing and treating. Like when I was in Columbus, I, I, I was invested in the powerlifting and bodybuilding and that's who I was treating. And I knew what kind of stresses and forces they were putting their bodies under every day. And you know, when to, when to uh, kind of tail back the load and, and, you know, and push it. How, how important do you think that is to be a practitioner of what you're doing and to the people you're treating? I think it lays the whole foundation for what you do. I, I really do. I think it's, I think it would be hard for me to, it's like someone who's selling any kind of product or any kind of, but they don't even use it, but they just want to sell it. I, I feel like it's, if if you don't find value in your own product, how are other people going to find value in it? So I just feel like that's something that, I feel like you gain people's trust better by the fact that they know that I'm a runner. They know I have experience with different distances. I also felt like that was something from 5K to marathons i know that pain in a marathon you know so it would be hard if i also oh i just jog you know once a week and you know i've never really done any races or i never it's hard then to have that connection with people because they'll say well she doesn't even know what i feel at mile 24 because she's never done it so i i think there's you have to have value in your own product by believing in your own product and that's why as an avid runner, I feel like that's that's the foundation for your entire your entire um, belief system. You know. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think, and I hear, kind of hearing you say that out loud, it kind of just makes me think of you know, like when I treat you know when I'll treat like a softball player or something. I haven't I haven't played baseball since I was like ten. You know what I mean? So like yeah. it's almost like you don't even you don't even know kind of what they're feeling, and yeah. maybe maybe you're this way too. Then I'm, I'm kind of, kind of, I guess you could say weird in this sense, but there's a part of me that <laughs> it's going to sound weird saying I, I enjoy, I enjoy getting hurt sometimes because I can actually kind of put my mindset in the Where kind of the space, the space of the athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't been seriously injured a, a ton since I've actually been an athletic trainer and treating patients. But the, the few times that I have, as, as much as it sucked, it, you kind of appreciate it a little bit more because you're like, this is what, the people that I'm treating are feeling so you can kind of have a little bit more empathy and, you know, kind of have a better idea of where they're at. Just kind of, I'm sure you can probably relate with that too. 
I can completely, I, I know what you mean. Cause I, I ended up having, um, a C-section to have my baby. I went through 32 hours of labor. It was horrible. And I, I ran wow. and was active through my entire pregnancy. I did all the strengthening stuff you're supposed to do. And then you get in there and it's just, it's anybody's game. It's just, so I had to go through a C-section and I, I never had abdominal surgery like that. I never had surgery like that. And it totally changed how I view just surgery in general. I mean, I've been, knock on wood, I've been lucky enough that I haven't had um, I only had a tonsillectomy when I was eight, you know, so I, you know, it's crazy because you're talking to these patients all the time and they're telling you about how they feel. And it's like, man, I, I, you don't, I know what you're saying. You don't wish it upon yourself, but you're like, I really wish I just understood what they were saying a little bit to have that deeper connection. So it's like, no, I, I know what you're going through. Cause it's, it, it, again, I think it just adds that value and that connection. Um, but after like, so now following that surgery and just how long it's taken, it's taken me a year to finally feel like I'm getting back to where I was two years ago, you know, before pregnancy and before going through the surgery. So it's, and if anybody told me that a few years ago, I would have been like, ah, you're crazy. You just get back out there. And it's, but it's not, it's, it's a mental and a physical game that it's just, and it takes a lot of time and it gives you such an appreciation for other people's injuries and what they go through with surgery and different things like that. Yeah, and I, yeah. I love that. I think the fact that the, the biggest thing I, that I really, really enjoy, like kind of listening, listening to your story and you talk and what, why you want to do what you do is you talk about the reimbursement rates for PTs and seeing a bunch of patients throughout throughout a day and not being able to actually connect with them. The fact that, you know, you are a runner, you're creating your own business, you're, you've created this niche and you're going to build real connections with these people, not just a 15 minute eval and send them on their way. I, I, there's so much value in that because we talk about as healthcare professionals talk about listening all the time and, you know, really connecting with people, but you can't do that in a 15 minute session. So the fact that you're going to be, you know, really investing your time in the, in, in your patients and the fact that you know what they're putting their bodies through, I think is so cool. And I think that can be, that can be, you know, spread across every, every profession. That's it's just really cool to me. Um, Kind of switching gears a little bit. This is kind of for the for uh, you know, other PTs or other healthcare professionals. Do you have any courses um, or or books potentially that you could uh, recommend to you know people interested in getting into running medicine or even just getting into running in general? Things that you have helped you along the way in terms of education or or things along those lines. Yes, I wrote them down because I knew that I would forget a bunch of them, but. Um, yeah. The biggest one, I don't know if it's just therapists or if um, athletic trainers could also attend, but the science of running medicine, it was at the University of Michigan when I took it. It is by far the most valuable course I ever took. Um, there's four big names. Well, I can't say that. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of big names in the, in the running world in terms of research, but the big ones that stand out are Brian Heiderscheidt, Irene Davis, Richard Willie, Chris Powers. I know I'm Tom Goom. I think does some does some things in England. I think he's in England. But um, uh, Chris Johnson is also another another big one. Um, those are some of the big names of people that are really like spearheading a lot of research. And when I was starting out, I didn't even know where to look because I'm looking up stuff, and you're coming to magazine articles that were written by someone who's writing like a blog, you know, it's, or like 
you know, just their own feelings on something or their own article and stuff. Like, I really wanted to make sure that the the information I gathered was from the best and most reliable source. So that's how I've always tried. I think it's just us as PTs for the most part. We always want to make sure that what we're providing people is the most accurate. So those are some big names in terms of um, if you look out there for research. Um, the science of running medicine, like I said, at the University of Michigan was very valuable. I don't know if they changed it to virtual, but that's, I believe they were holding it in March this year. I'm not sure if it was canceled or if it was virtual. Um, I went up to Harvard and went to a running medicine course by Irene Davis because she has an entire clinic up there. So she's really big into ch changing runners to more of a four foot strike. And she believes that that's, that's how you can reduce injury rates. So that's a whole nother, um, a whole, she spearheads a whole bunch of research that you can look into with her. Um, the pose method course is actually how I got my certification as a running technique specialist. I mean, every course has its, every course has like a, a feel to it where they're trying to either get you to believe a certain way or something like try to almost steer you in a certain direction. The, sure. the science of running medicine I felt like was the first one I mentioned. That one is where they just go over the most common injuries. They go over their different thought processes and they have Brian Heiderscheidt, Chris Powers and Irene Davis, and they all have their own feels for things like Irene believes in the forefoot strike. Um, Brian Heiderscheidt, he really focuses on hamstring injury and cadence and uh, step rate and things like that. And then you have Chris Powers, who's big on um, trunk lean and how much the glutes play into running. And so that for me was the most valuable because you're getting three different ideas and basically putting them all into one course. And now you're getting, you know, their different belief systems and how they feel about certain things. So that is why I find that one the most valuable. So when you get into some other courses, you're obviously like I'm sure Chris Powers has a course where that's what he's focusing on is that, you know, trunk lane and, and glute activation and things like that. And Irene, when she puts on courses, it's more built toward that four foot strike. Um, I was actually supposed to go to Brian Heiderscheidt's clinic at the University of Wisconsin, and it was like got canceled right before, like it was right at the height of COVID. And I was like, oh, so they wouldn't let anyone. So I don't even know if I'm going to get to get over there. I hope so. But um, uh, what I was saying about the pose method course, that's how I got my certification. They're very big on same thing, making trying to transition runners to land more underneath their body. So it's not so much forefoot strike, but they are trying to transition runners to land more on that forefoot. Um, so like I said, different courses have different beliefs. So I just wanted to take a whole bunch of different courses to pull all information from each one and then make sure that, you know, because I, I believe every runner has their own um, running biomechanics that works the best for them. I feel like in terms of, injury rate and things, you can adjust each person's biomechanics to try to optimize their their running gait, but I don't think necessarily there's one gait for everybody that everybody should follow. You know, so um, I am all over the place. <laughs> no, it's fine. This is great. Um, the, I am actually taking a course this Friday, Mountainland Running Summit. It's being run by Brian Heiderstein. I love his research, and he is running that. I think Richard Willie used to do it, and he's not doing it anymore. But um, 
uh, Brian is, is, has a lot of value and does a lot of research on runners. So he has that course coming up Friday and Saturday and it's virtual. So it's, um, I'm really looking forward to that and catching up on what research they've done in the past two years and, and things like that. So I think that covers it all. I think. No, that's really cool. I have a couple of questions about some of the more of the, like the technique and stuff here as, as we go, yeah. <clears throat> but as we transition a little bit, I know you, you talked about some, um, your four foot strike and, you know, running injury prevention and hamstring and glute stuff. What, in terms of like actual running injuries, what's like, what, like your average, like general runner, what, what, what are you seeing the most with them in terms of um, just, you know, common injuries? Um, in terms of actual, in, in terms of actual diagnoses or the reasons behind. I, I mean, a little bit of both, if you don't mind. Um, I mean, the knee's definitely the most affected, uh, um, patellofemoral pain syndrome, patellar tendonitis, things like that, IT band syndrome. Um, the biggest thing is training errors. It, it really is. It's too much too soon. Um, is there inadequate recovery? Um, there's are, are people always running hard runs? I feel like for the most part, people go out and they feel like that's how they get faster is they run hard and then they run hard every single run. Um, excessive hill training and excessive use of like the track because you're always going in one direction. Um, things like camber on the road. If you're always running on one side of the road, you're always naturally just a little bit shortening one side compared to lengthening another. So that's, that's a big thing that people, I think when they go out and back, they don't realize, um, a lack of warm up and cool down. Um, those are the, I feel like the big training errors. And then of course you can get into like they're running biomechanics. Is there something going on that they're usually doing or, um, are they, do they have a strength program? I feel like that's also a lot of runners. They feel like if I run, I get better at running, but truth is, is that strength component is so important too. So. Yeah. I, I was, I was curious about that. So just because I, I come more from a, a strength background, I guess you could say, I mean, I played college soccer. So, I mean, I, I did a lot of running for a, a long period of time, but it wasn't as like long distance. It was a kind of a, a mix of both, you know, anaerobic and aerobic workouts. But um, if, and this is just, I'm just kind of asking the question, if you strength train more as a runner and you can put more force on the ground and get better workouts, do you not have to run as much? So potentially re reducing over overuse chronic injuries. Oh, that's such a question. That's like, it depends. I think depends. it depends. I think it depends on your goal. I think if, mm -hmm. I think if the person has a prior history of injury and it's something that they're battling and you want to, maybe we have to reduce them to running three times a week um, and increasing their strength to two, three times a week. I think that that could be something that could work for somebody. Um, yeah. But for someone who's like an elite runner or someone who's really trying to target a certain goal, like a certain uh, time when they're running, like a half marathon PR or a marathon PR, I feel like that running and how you train, you're still going to have to get on your feet. You're still going to have to keep running. But you could reduce it in the sense that if you start implementing some strength training, it's a, it, the other big thing, though, is periodization and where they are in their training program. Because in the beginning, the focus is going to be more on actual strength training versus 
running, then as they get, you know, through their program more and more, you start to kind of, you keep the strengthening in there, but it takes the back seat and the, and the focus really becomes on running and, and that speed work and things like that. So it, I think it's a, that's, it depends kind of question. Gotcha. You know? Yeah. I know a lot of these probably are. I just, just trying to pick your brain a little bit. So. No, no, no. That's I, I, I see what you're saying though. If it's someone who was battling injury and they enjoyed running, I feel like you could reduce them and you could increase their strength and have them run less and help them out because yeah, you're taking, you're taking away the load. I mean, you, that's the truth is the more you run, the more load you're putting on, you know, or I, I don't know if the word load, but the more, um, but if you don't, if you increase that load and you don't have the proper strength programming, um, Tom Goom just posted something about that, about the, the, you're not improving your bone health by continuing to run. I think people think that the more I run, the, the stronger I'm getting, the, the stronger my bones are, the strong. It, that's not what it is though. Cause you could run a hundred miles a week. And if you are not strength programming where you're including that heavy weight, you're not actually building up strength within your bones and your, your tendons that really comes from that actual strength program. So running, if you continue to run, you'll get better at running, you know, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to protect against injury or, uh, like, cause you, th the only way to really protect against injury is being smart with your training and the strength programming, you know? Yeah. I, yeah. That, I guess that's kind of where, where my question, I was trying to go with my question is, do you, do you think there's a lot of runners that kind of put the, the strength training on the backs on yeah. the back, on the back burner, but if they, if they would do a little bit more of that, you know, the, the load on the long bones, that axial load, the increase in bone density mm -hmm. would help, you know, especially as they get older, you know, you th that would help out a lot. I would assume. Right. Yes, that's huge. That's huge. It's huge because you, that's why I don't want to use words that are too confusing. Like the, the more you run, the more load you have. I don't mean to say it like that. I'm just saying that you're only going to get to a certain amount of load when you're running. You're just going to increase the amount that you're running. But when you're actually strength training and you're putting on like 70%, you should have 70% or higher of your one rep max and you're doing higher load with lower reps that's going to improve your bone health and your tendon health more than continuing to run is so and like you said it, it depends on like the runner and and what you're really looking for and where they are in their program but strength training is so important i feel like most runners just hate it and and don't because they want to run they don't want to spend their if they have an hour that day they would rather run than strength train and i get it i i get it it's but it's without that strength component i think you're just kind of it's tough i almost feel like not that you're playing with fire but it's you're totally missing as an aspect of training and a lot of runners feel like if they strength train they're going to add bulk and they're going to get slower and it's just every piece of research just deters completely away from that. You can't add that much muscle mass. And you're not trying to add muscle mass. You're trying to strengthen bone and tendon health versus adding muscle mass, which, you know, would affect your running. It actually enhances your running by adding that strength. So it's very important. But Yeah. yeah I, even though I don't know a ton about running, it, it's, it's kind of mind boggling that those misconceptions, like that specific misconception is out there and so prominent because I don't know, just you, you would you would assume it's almost common sense to, to us that strength training mm -hmm. would enhance running, 
but I, you know, I, I can see a lot, a lot of people would think you get too bulky and it would slow you down and that that's everything. So I hope, I hope that message gets out there more because I think more people need to need to learn about that. Yeah. I'm sorry um, about my rambling. I just, no, ramble. no, 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 no it, it's fine. I, I'm, I'm learning a ton. I, I'm, I'm sure everybody else is too. Let me, um, let me jump in real quick. Cause as you were yeah. in this same topic, you had mentioned the 80, 20 rule for hard runs. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, explain that to me because one of the things that, that I do is sometimes I'll run for distance and again my distance is like five miles at max but sometimes I'll try and run like two miles with one mile being you know a sub eight minute mile and the other one being like a nine minute mile kind of thing and so instead of just running like three four five nine minute miles I'm trying to get like as fast as I can for a one mile and so tell me a little bit about the eight, 80 20 rule so that belief is that 80% of the time you are doing easy conversational paced runs. And then that 20% of what you're running, you're doing hard runs like hill training, intervals, tempos, things like that. So a lot of people shy away because they feel like if they run slower, then they're just going to, they're just going to get slower. But what they're showing is that if you, you're still able to reap the benefit of gaining and improving your aerobic base by running slower in that 80% time frame, but then in that 20, you have so much more power and energy behind your harder runs because you're not pushing yourself every single day. So it's, it's going more toward that way because I feel like they're showing that people are, when they always run hard or always run at their tough pace, they're plateauing and you're not going to get a, a ton of improvement because at a certain point, you're just continuing to run at that same pace or that that hard pace and always basically straining your system the most like consistently so you can't really improve off of that you you mostly kind of just plateau at a certain point you might improve initially cuz you're running in general but you'll plateau so what they're showing is that that 80% is so valuable and finding that conversation pace is so valuable and there's different pacing charts and things like that that you can look at. I know from the coaching course, I actually have a pacing chart that's like, this is what someone's conversation pace should be if this is like their goal marathon time. So, I mean, it's a rough estimate of conversation is, can you hold a conversation? <laughs> you know, like should the, the person should be able to have a full-blown conversation during their run. That's how slow they should be going. And it's it's a tough concept, I think, because you are thinking about, okay, now how am I improving? But you're still building your aerobic base in that th during those runs and then during your hard runs, that's where you really focus on your speed training. So that's where that belief stands. All right. So hopefully, hopefully I'm not derailing us here, but it, it is actually like I see people posting, you know, like a 10. OK, well, I, I ran slow. I was a 10 minute mile, 11 minute mile or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like it's actually I feel like it's harder for me to run that 10 or 11 minute yeah. mile. So like, I think my natural pace is about nine and a half. And I don't know if that's because, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday. If I go play golf, I have to wear myself out first because otherwise I'm I'm strong and muscular. So I'm going to try and just hit the ball as hard as I can until I'm worn out and then I can just swing. And so I don't know if that's what it is, is like this, this like mentality, like, oh, I have to run hard. Or So talk to me just a little bit about like, do I need to try and slow down to that 10 minute mile? So, so you do, you do. <laughs> so I, I, I think as a, as a starting point, you say to yourself, okay, you're going to have two or three hard runs. Say you run six days a week. You have two 
maybe three hard runs in a week. Even so, you would probably want to stay around more of like 20, uh, excuse me, two hard runs. So you're kind of still in that 20% range versus 80. But if you have six runs a week and two of them are hard, those other four runs need to be at that slower pace. And I feel like the only issue I would say with coming off of a really hard day and then you go out for a run is you're so fatigued that that's where you're not even able to hold like your best gait mechanics when you're running because you're just so fatigued. So that was, that's the only thing I would, I would shy away from being that tired when you go out for a run. Cause I feel like it's, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. I mean, if that works for you in the beginning and it helps you to kind of just slow down a little bit in the beginning, then golf every day and then go for your run. <laughs> but I mean, you, you have to try to, I would almost tell people to try to slow down by one minute and see how that feels and maybe get used to that and then add 30 seconds or a minute onto that. See kind of how you feel and get to that point where you get comfortable going slower. And unfortunately you have to keep looking at your watch and you have to keep monitoring yourself because you'll just speed up, especially if you have a good song on, you're just going to speed up. So like you have to, you have to actively in the beginning, try to bring yourself to that slower pace and adjust to that. And once you get the feel for that, then you'll see that your harder runs, you're able to give 110% because you were able to recover on those outside easy runs. So it's really putting the focus on those hard runs by having them spaced out and having them less frequent. You're able to put more effort into them, you know? Do you have like a certain rule of thumb for like if people are tracking heart rate like for those slower runs, is there a certain percentage of heart rate max that they want to stay below during those like mm. really, really slow, like 80% runs? And then obviously when they're doing the 20% runs, they're much, much higher, closer to that max. I'm not as familiar in terms of with like heart rate training. That's something okay. I've thought about looking into. I don't have a strong background in it, so I don't necessarily want to speak on it because I'm not I feel like every person's different and I would want to see where their heart rate is at during a hard run and where it's at sure. you know during that recovery run and kind of see and bridge that gap and see what's going on but in terms of actual like uh, for the most part they say between like a heart rate of 100 and 140 could be like a conversation pace so if that's like a good range but I'm not I don't have as much um knowledge base in terms of like actual heart rate training so i don't necessarily want to speak on it because I, I don't i don't want to guide anybody the wrong way i got no i got you know? i was just curious yeah, yeah 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 but that's usually the, the in terms of what i've done with research and in the coaching courses it says ah you can be between like 100 and 140 might be where you fall in during the conversation that easier run and if it helps that's where my doctor said to stay during pregnancy <laughs> Okay. Very cool. But Very cool. My, my first OBGYN said to stay in there in that heart rate range. But then when I got to my next OBGYN, he was like, nah. So it depends on, in terms of pregnancy, go by what your, um, your current doctor says in your situation. But um, yeah, staying below 140, you're, you're generally in like an, a lighter range. So it's not as, it's not a tough exertion for you. It's more, you know, that, that easier pace, but yeah, I would have to look at somebody's individual uh, heart rate and things like that. Okay, cool. And kind of going off that, this is in the show notes, but I was just kind of curious because I use a whoop band for when I train. and I, I've heard I, about these. I've heard about these. I, you, yeah, I would highly, I would highly, highly recommend it. I, I, at least, at least to try. It's, 
like the like the recovery that it shows based on your sleep, your heart rate variability, and just the information it gives you throughout the day, I, I think is so cool. Um, because like because kind of what it'll say is like based on your sleep, it'll determine your heart rate variability, and then based on your heart rate variability and like the amount of sleep you got, it'll tell you like what your recovery percentage is, and then like should you push it, should you kind of have a recovery day, should you not train at all those types of things. So it's just really cool. I, I'm just curious if you, re if you recommend it or if you used one of those yourself or, or anything like that. So I haven't, but I feel like what would happen if you didn't get sleep for a few days and it was like, don't work out, don't work out. And you're like, I want to. Like, yeah. Like, no. <laughs> yeah. I, so like I, I work night shifts on Sunday nights going into Mondays. So, and like every day, like Mark, <laughs> he's, and I'll, I'll, I'll be up all night and sleep from like 5am to like, 10 because I just can't sleep when it's light outside and my recovery is like 20%. And so I'm like, well, I'm not going to go hard today, but I'll still do a little bit, just to get my heart rate up a little bit. Yeah. So it's def it definitely, if, if you're one of those people who like thinks too much, it can be, it probably could be a detriment, <laughs> you know, but um, I would just seen if you, if you used anything like that. So. Honestly, I, um, I just heard about it this week and I, I was interested in looking how, how much are they? Are they, are they pricey or are they? So it's, you, it's it's subscription based so like you get the band for free but then like you have to like i think your first time you have to do like a six month subscription and it's 30 it's 30 bucks a month but then oh. after that you can like kind of get a discount but i don't i don't have a gym membership right now so i'm like oh, i'll just do this for six months and see how i like it and that's kind of like my gym membership price you know what i mean so um you have a, do you have a coupon code i do actually i think oh, i mean you I, do? yeah there you go. I, i'll sure. get one yeah, I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> but um, but I was yeah, I was just curious because I'm sure, I know a lot, I know a lot of runners do you know track things like that. So I don't know if you had any re recommendations for anyone in terms of like heart you know heart rate training or whatever. But so I I mean I just got my new Garmin. I okay. again I, when I started the beginning of my pregnancy I had um, an OBGYN that was very. Um, he was much more, I guess you could say strict and he didn't want me to, to go over 140 heart rate and he was very strict. So I actually got a Garmin just so I knew where my heart rate was at when I would go for runs. Um, I, like I said, at the, then I went to a different OBGYN who was much more relaxed and he was like, no, you got it. You have to just go off exertion and what you feel because sometimes he said your heart rate might not, might not always be indicative of how hard you feel that you're working. So he's like, I'd rather have you go by that like RPE and how um, using that scale. So in terms of, I could understand the value in it though, because I feel like it does. I mean, for the most part, when I went for a conversation pace run, then I looked at my heart rate. I was in that 130. My heart rate was generally at 130 throughout my pregnancy when I went for those runs. So I could see the value in it because I feel like it did kind of line up with how I felt my exertion was. So I could see that being something, I mean, there's so much technology now and there's so many things that are coming out that in terms of, I'm just learning how to program my Garmin, but yesterday I went for intervals and I'm like, I, I can't keep looking at my watch to see where I am. So there's so many ways that you can program things that I think it's, I think it's like a beautiful thing. If it, if it opens up that door for you and it gives you more answers and it helps you during your runs, I, I see it as brilliant. I don't see why not. I just don't have a ton of um, experience with it, but I'll get the whoop, it's called? Whoop, yeah. <laughs> I'll get the whoop, and then we'll do another podcast in like six months. I'll let you know. 
Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> cool. Um, yeah, that's, that's funny. In the, in the strength community, there's a big, there's a, always a big like fight between percentage based, but like, percentage of max mm -hmm. training and then RPE too. So yep. it's, it's kind of funny to hear you say that. Um, yep. so going back to technique a little bit, just because, I, you know, kind of going off, we talked about four foot strike earlier. Um, after I, I forget the, the woman's name, but, um, Irene what, Davis. Irene Davis. First, yeah, she's big with four foot. Yeah. Okay. So, what in terms of four foot versus heel heel strike and all that? Um, what's in terms of like the actual cadence and technique? What's the most common technique error that you see in runners? And I'm sure it kind of I'm sure it's one of those that depends things too. But is there a certain thing you see a lot of that's causing people pain and injury? Um, you know that you see pretty commonly. This is where I'm probably going to ramble, so that's a heads up. Um, <laughs> okay, so in terms of there's – you have forefoot strikers and you have heel strikers. Some people feel like they're midfoot strikers. Technically, they say that there's not as much evidence that you can even be a midfoot striker, that it's not – you can't consistently run on your midfoot. That's like the belief as of right now. Um, so basically you either fall into two categories, the heel striker or the forefoot striker. I understand the benefit of when people want to become forefoot strikers because they feel like it might help them or help their performance. The, the, I truly believe that every person has their own comfortable running gait. And they've shown even with gait retraining, how much does a person really need in order to make sure that they can continuously always run with that gait adjustment and things like that. So there's injuries to both and there's positive and negatives to both. Uh, uh, so with a heel striker, they're putting more load into the knee and they're putting more load into their quads. All right. So when you build a strength program, that's something that you want to think about is is, okay, this is where their load is, so what maybe might be not kicking in as much or what maybe should we strengthen or what should we focus on? Um, Four-foot strikers, they they use so much more of their calf and ankle. So a lot of people will go from, oh, you know what, I'm going to be a four-foot striker. I'm going to start running on my forefoot. I heard it's better for me because that whole barefoot running error and everything that came through that, you know, the problem was people were not – strong enough in their calves and Achilles tendons to tolerate that adjustment in where they're putting load. So really, depending on where you are, you're really just adjusting where the load is being placed. So that's where I kind of stand with that. And it depends on if someone consistently has a knee injury for 10 years, they're a runner and they have off and on, you know, patellofemoral pain syndrome, I might think about adjusting them not towards a forefoot strike, but maybe towards m not as much landing on the heel and trying to almost get them to land a little bit more on the forefoot. So those are changes that I feel like are very, very individual and it depends on your specific case. Um, because you are a heel striker, it does not mean that you're automatically an overstrider. I, I think that people think, well, I'm a heel striker. So like I heel strike and I don't overstride. So it, it, I, it depends on you know what that's when you look at their gait mechanics and you see are they overstriding are they crossing over when they land are they is there a medial a huge um hip drop when they run those are like the three big ones that you look at when you're doing gait analysis so those things are in like you take those as okay this might be some gait deficits they have 
they are a heel striker or a forefoot striker, but it doesn't mean that everything, like it doesn't mean that just because you're a forefoot striker, you're going to cross over your feet. You know, so it's, it's, I think it's just finding clarity in that to begin with is what I would say in general. I think that people think that there's one way to run and it's better. And it just, it depends on your individual gait pattern, things like that. So if I found someone who was an overstrider, they obviously are going to heel strike because they're completely kicking their leg out in front of them farther than their, their base of support or their center of gravity. It's just coming too far out. So someone like that, you would see more, um, like I said, the patellofemoral pain syndrome, IT band syndrome, they might have shin splints, um, things like that, because that load is happening so much in the knee and, and, and then in that area. So with someone like that, that's where cadence comes into play and using metronomes and, um, trying to get them to decrease that overstride, not necessarily change them from a heel strike to a forefoot strike. They're still going to heel strike because you're you're reducing it, but you're not necessarily trying to completely change their gait mechanics altogether. You're trying to almost just make small incremental adjustments so it's it's easier for them to apply to real life. So when I do that, I look at their cadence and I say, okay, their their cadence is 150. All right, so we want to we want to increase their cadence by about five percent. That's enough to make a change where they'll land closer in towards their body, but it's not a huge change that they won't be able to tolerate it. So I make changes more like that that are incremental um, to help them adjust. And and there's not a specific goal I'm trying to get to. Like that's another thing is the 180 cadence. Runners think, oh, I'm supposed to have 180. They got that number from a study, not even a study. It was someone who did an observational study and saw Olympians run and how many, where their cadence was. And their cadence was all over. It was 170 to like one uh, to 230 or 240. I think some of these, these really elite runners are, are hitting. So there's no actual scientific evidence that shows that 180 is a better cadence for everyone. It's just, it's just not realistic because everyone's body's different and every runner is different. So I try to look at it more at the individual basis in terms of, okay, they overstride. So let's reduce that by a small incremental change and then try to retrain them slowly over time to get them used to that adjustment. So, okay. And scene. <laughs> that, that was awesome. Um, what, what is, I see you, you kind of answered one of my, like my follow-up question was, is there a certain period of time like if you want to like slowly change somebody's gait mm -hmm. or modify it a little bit, is there a certain period of time that like like psych like psychologically that, that takes? Like for somebody to like really ingrain that pattern. They, you know what I, mean? I know Irene Davis usually does eight week increments. I know she okay. does it in eight over eight weeks. Again, that's changing someone from a complete heel striker to a forefoot striker, and she has like. A clinic that's like ridiculous it's beautiful sure. it has all these different pieces of equipment and people come there from different countries and stay there for two months to adjust their gait that's how like how <laughs> people <laughs> they will travel to her so yeah. um i think it you have to allow motor planning to happen so i feel like when people they'll go buy barefoot shoes and then say i'm just going to change to that forefoot strike and they start just running. There's no preparation though. And there's no adjustment to be able to tolerate that change in load and where you're placing load. So, um, 
in terms of time, you have to allow weeks. And, and I would do it during someone's off season. I would do, I would allow two to three months for them to adjust. Like if someone's a severe overstrider and I, I adjust them 5%, then they go out for runs for the next, I don't know, even two, three, four weeks, maybe at that 5% increase. And then when they come back, okay, now we're going to try to do a 10% increase from your original number. And then you increase to that, allow them a few weeks to change. But I think those, you have to allow motor planning to, to happen and change because other, otherwise you're no, nothing's going to stick. It, it's not going to stick and it's not going to apply. The person won't be able to continuously always do that. You want to get them to the point where they don't need the metronome and they're naturally running that way. And that takes months. It takes time to do that. So sure. Awesome. I got a question um, from Facebook. Yeah. Keith Sherman uh, wanted to know, have you seen a runner with a stress fracture in the calcaneus medially from the Achilles attachment uh, retocalcaneo bursa. I think I read all that correct. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, there's been, there's a lot of like stress fractures and things that can happen through the feet. For me, I would, the, the biggest thing when a runner comes in is you're looking at, you have to ask certain that, that training history, how, how long do they like, what's their mileage each week? Um, what's their nutrition like? What, uh, are they, what's their usual pace? Are they always running at that pace? Are they, um, is this a recurring injury? Is this something that's happened before? Is this something that keeps happening to them? Um, what about their, then I would think about what about their Achilles tendon, their, uh, plantar fascia, their ankle in general, their, their mobility there, their, I mean, you could take that in so many different directions. I feel like it would depend on, um, that person's goals, that person's running history, that person's medical history, um, and figuring out what that person would best benefit from. So it, like I said, it depends. If that's like a recurring injury and he's always heel striking and I throw him on the treadmill and he's always overstriding, that's something that then I would try to adjust that slowly. Is it something where he doesn't, he's not doing any kind of like strength programming or something like that? We need to look at strengthening the Achilles, strengthening the bottom of the foot, strengthening the, the glutes, the hamstring. You know, I, I think it would depend solely on, that's such an open-ended question. <laughs> I feel like I could go in a million directions. <laughs> so um, I have treated patients that have shin splints, um, someone who had compartment syndrome, um, metatarsal fractures, calcaneal fractures, um, IT band syndrome, uh, hip, uh, uh, bursitis, um, uh, the knee patellofemoral pain syndrome, patellotendinitis. I mean, those are all like really common diagnoses that you'll see in the running world, even like low back pain and stuff too. A lot of runners have low back pain, can't figure out where that's coming from. Um, so Yes, I have it. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know where you want me to go with it. I don't. That's that's good. I mean, that was the, that was the question I read. So uh, he said thank you. So I think yeah. Okay, I'm thanks. not sure if he was saying thank you for reading the question or thank you for answering it. Yeah, thanks for participating, Keith. I hear you. <laughs> if he has specific questions, though, I'm more than you know. If he has certain, yeah. Uh, training questions or, or questions with his injury, tell him to holler at me. I'm, that's, yeah. Awesome. Um, all right. My, I, this is my last running question. I don't know if Jeremy has any more. 
just in terms of just for like general advice for you know runners do you have any specific I, I hate the word protocols but do you have any specific um, suggestions you give for warm-up or, or cool downs or like length of time that should happen or um do you have any suggestions for that that you typically give to people or just what kind of what feels good all right how much how much time you got <laughs> okay. um okay warm-ups Remember as a runner that with warm-ups, you have to do dynamic activity. You want to avoid static stretching. And um, a lot of runners want to statically stretch, I feel, because like, you feel stiff. So, um, But you want dynamic warm-ups. So instead of doing like a hamstring stretch that's static and you throw your foot on top of like a fence and you're doing a, a static stretch like that, you want to make it dynamic so you could do uh, – as you walk, you could do Frankenstein walks or toe touches, whatever you want to call it, something like that to stretch the hamstring, but it's a dynamic movement. Um, and that's not to say ballistic movement where you're holding an end range position and bouncing because that you don't want to do either. Dynamic is where you're moving through um, uh, patterns, but they're, and they might put you closer to end range, but it's more um, a continuous movement. So arm circles, uh, Frankenstein walks, butt kicks, high knees. Um, I do walking lunges with rotation, um, walking calf raises. That really, that's really good for people in terms of um, a lot of people don't warm up the calf as much. So walking calf raises are good. Um, inchworms you can do as well for hamstrings too. Um, but you really want to have that dynamic movement throughout your warm-up so that lasts about you want to do at least five ten minutes of a dynamic warm-up and you want it to end within 10 minutes of the start of your run so if you do a warm-up and then you go sit down for half an hour it's just not it you're you're now starting from scratch so you want to make sure that it's five to ten minutes and it's um at least five minutes um and you're starting that run right after you do that warm-up um Cool down. I mean, I sometimes I'll dynamically warm up and then I'll walk a little bit too. So you can include walking in your warm up too. It's just I like those activities because I feel like they bring you to closer to end range in your joints and you feel a little bit more loose than you would walking. Um, stretching at the end, that's that's fine too. And you want to do that when the muscles are warm. I look at it like, okay, you just finished your run. Maybe you walk for a half mile um, and then you want to statically stretch. So when you stretch you want to make sure you do three rounds for each muscle and you're holding it for at least they're saying now like 15 to 30 seconds you want to hold it at least 15 seconds i still lean toward that 30 seconds um for athletes that are 65 and older you actually want to hold your stretch longer you want to hold it for about 60 seconds um so that in terms of warm-up and cool down is is so important and it's for every run even if you're doing an easy conversational pace run you have to include that warm-up because you're just all of a sudden asking the body to go through these movements. And I feel like we're so used to that movement and running that it doesn't feel like it's it's too um, too much for you. But at the same time, without that warm-up and, and without preparing your system neurologically, I feel like physically, just everything, you need to prepare it so it's, it's ready. And it reduces injury risk is the biggest thing, you know. 
killing awesome. me, Natalie. Killing me. I don't have time to be warming up. I just need to leave the house and go run. <laughs> so you're you're just leaving the house, doing a hard run, coming back or golfing and then running. Well, no, I, don't I, I don't really golf. I was just like giving that as an example. I, I, <laughs> I only do it like uh, when I go to Top Golf, you know that kind of thing. But no, usually I'll, I'll walk to the end of the street and then I'll start running and then I walk home afterwards. So so like I usually end at the same spot. It's about three quarters of a mile from the house. So then I'm walking back. I do have some recovery boots and like the complex massage gun at the house that I use sometimes. Come on now. You're killing me. You can. <laughs> I mean, with reco recovery too, it's not just stretching. You can do like, foam, you know, foam rolling. Um, the I have the massage gun too. I have, you know, those are all ways to recover. It's not, it's just the, the biggest thing too that I, I don't want to forget is nutrition. Now that's something that I, again, I don't like speaking on things that aren't my specialty. So I do have someone that um, I work with who she's and she's an ultra marathoner and she's a registered dietitian. So when I look for answers in that sense, I collaborate a lot with her. But um, when you finish your run, you want to, I want to make sure I say this right. You want to have the proper ratio of carbs to protein. So they say you want about either three to one or four to one of carbs to protein. So, like, for me, after I run, I walk and then I stretch, right? <laughs> yeah. And then um, I take in, like, eight ounces of organic chocolate milk. So, for me, I'm, I'm at least getting a little bit of that protein, a little bit of the carbs that you might have lost during your run. And it tastes good. So, it's, it's, so, it's so ice a win-win. Ice cream with chocolate syrup is the thing, too, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's, there's milk and chocolate in there. That's it. We're we're in, in the no. show right now. <laughs> I I no, I would not. I mean, I enjoy ice cream though. I'll have it later. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. But um, nutrition is also you could do like a whole podcast on running and nutrition and things like that because it's 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 kind of like in turn they call it um the fourth leg of a triathlon. Like when they talk about triathlon, you have you have the swimming, bike, running, and and that nutrition is your fourth leg. That's the most, and that same goes with running, just marathons or half marathons, even ten k's. You have to be properly, uh, you have to have that proper nutrition because if you don't, you don't have support enough to to support the movement of the demand that you're putting on your body. So um, recovery with that is key. But that's that's where I would say register dietitians and. There's ones that register dietitians that specialize in runners and things like that too. So you can find someone who works athletes and specializes in that. So you can have that conversation to make sure that you are, because that's one of the biggest things with um, uh, stress fractures and things like that. They look at young female runners, high school runners, um, and the incidence of stress fractures and you know, of course, there's a lot of studies with with menstrual cycles and things like that. But it's also that nutrition piece too. Are they are they getting adequate nutrition? Are they are they supporting you know the activity that they're doing? And that so that's a whole nother slew of research and and things like that. That nutrition is just it's it's a big component. It's very important with your recovery along with your walking and stretching and. <laughs> <laughs> I know all this stuff. I just sometimes. Don't apply at all. But <laughs> well, I, because I, it's easy to just go out and go outside, and it's a nice day. You just start running. Mm -hmm. I, I I get it. I get it. But to if especially someone who's had a previous history of injury or someone who like you, you want to, you got to include that that piece. You know. 
Awesome. <laughs> and th- have you ever have you ever read uh, "Can't Hurt Me" by David Goggins? Mm-mm. I'll, I'll I'll send you the link. You have to read it. He he's an old Navy SEAL guy, but he runs ultra marathons and stuff. And he he ran a hundred a hundred k or a hundred miler race like with no training and just brought like those EAS myoplexes and crackers. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, there, the, you, have to, I, you have to read it it's insane i forgot the name of the guy there's another guy who also did he did well wait you said keith who's listening he's he's a triathlon he's a triathlete um well he's does an Iron athletic Man? trainer he's an athletic trainer but he, he oh, does oh, oh. he does those as well so there, there was someone who i don't remember the guy's name he did five i thought it was five full iron mans in five days and something like that it was i'm telling you there's people that do the, the, like and so, I thought a mar- for me a marathon is like my my limit. I feel like that's my my upper limit. Um, but but the ultra marathons and things like that, they're really gaining steam. The hundred the hundred milers and things like that, fifty milers. And I feel like they've talked about it's becoming it's such a mental game, and and the nutrition is so important because they're still moving, so they have to support their body. But it becomes a, a I've heard of people having like not delusions but like they have like when they're on these runs by themselves and they're at mile like 80 you have to have that support system and that the, the, whether it's food and having people come see you because i heard some of them are very quiet in like the woods like i'm gonna get eaten by a lion or something so i'm not gonna do anything like that but <laughs> but some people that's a huge um huge component and that's a huge piece of uh research that i want to look more into is that ultra marathon and, and, and going past 26 miles and what happens and what's the demand on your body and those kind of things. So that's, again, that's, that's a whole other uh, piece of research that I'd like to gain knowledge on so I can, you know, properly advise an ultra marathoner. So. Very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. So going forward, last two questions. And I, I don't know where we're on time, Jeremy. So I don't, I, I know we started a little bit late after nine 30, but um, so we, revolution, revolution running physical therapy, Coming mm-hmm. next year, right? March of 2021. Yes. That correct. So long term, what what are, what are your long term goals for for the clinic and for the patients you're going to treat? Um, to take over the world. No. <laughs> um, so in the long term, I'm I'm thinking. I have that long term plan, but I'm still thinking in terms of when I open, I want to be able to provide and help people throughout their their running journey wherever they are in their their running life cycle so um like i said the the physical therapy part but then also education for injury prevention um gait analysis and and then adding in that coaching piece so i wanted to be able to cover and have the knowledge base throughout an entire um life cycle but i would like to within five years i I would hope to have like a i'd like to have a, a rev running team um, I would like to, um, in terms of expansion, I'm not even thinking about that because I want to give my heart and soul into this particular and, and where I am in the community now that I want to try to expand into, um, within my particular office, not just that hands-on, but like you were saying that the virtual component and pieces like that, I want to, um, Hopefully, if I could do something where I had a website or an app where I could also have my exercises and be able to do programming that way, that's something I've been thinking about. Um, 
And if I had another staffer, the only thing is if I had another therapist come on board, I would want them to have the same, they would have to have that same passion that I do to really, and, and really think about the long term. Um, I'm involved with uh, Stony Brook University because I'm still a teaching assistant. So another thing I, I really want to do is get into running research myself and, and start to look at it from that aspect and things that are like, I'm even talking about different loopholes and different things that we're missing in research. I would like to try to fill some of those holes and look into things myself too. Um, but in turn, I mean, just become bigger within the community and then also build more of that virtual um, database and building more that way too. So it's more just in terms of, I want to be able to provide something to people in the community that they, that they trust. And they know that I, I put all my knowledge and my, like I said, my heart and soul into something that they trust it and they're willing to come in and travel and, and see me from wherever they are. Hopefully like Irene Davis, they come from like Ireland, you know, and they stay for a week and they, you know, but I mean, that's what that's, I, I really want to be able to provide such a, a quality product that you can't necessarily receive at, at um, a generalized practice. I want to really be trusted as like, this is the specialist and the person that I want to go to for running. So, um, and that's why I, as much as I can, I am always ask my husband, he's like sitting there next to me at midnight and I'm sitting there reading articles because I want to make sure that I have the, the, the best knowledge base I can. So, yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> and we'll be rooting for you for sure. And keep keeping an eye <laughs> out next, next March for when that opens up. Uh, last question is the embrace race. Uh, mm. virtual five take five K and 10 K. Um, I'm sure I, I'm sure Jeremy will put, um, the link to that and everything. But I just want to touch on that too. Just, um, um, an awesome benefit. And, you know, if we can get more people signed up, I think that'd be great. So embrace race is an organization that, um, they were created by uh, a few parents and they, <clears throat> of, of different nationalities and different races. And they came together and wanted to create something that um, provided parents with a way to educate children on different cultures and different uh, races and be able to be more in, inclusive in terms of um, how you raise your, your children. And, and of course, especially with having my babies one now, and, and I talked to the, um, one of the presidents of the organization at Embrace Race, and he said that, you know, children start to recognize and start to get familiar with a certain race because that's what they're raised with. So when they're, even when they're one, they have that, um, I don't want to say preference, but I, I mean a little bit because my family is primarily white and my husband's family is primarily white and that's, that's who he sees. So not to, <laughs> it was, it's not like a, you know, a baby can be like, prejudice, but it's just, that's what they feel comfortable with because that's what they're exposed to. So it's a way that as the child starts to grow up, there's different programs they do. They do webinars. They do, um, there's online communities that they've created where you can ask questions, um, to try to make sure that as your child gets a little bit older, they start to really be more inclusive and, and, bring the community together more than have this divide that our country unfortunately is experiencing. So, and I feel like that's, that's where everything starts, you know, and that's where the, where the learning starts is, is at that age. So in terms of like, they've helped me to, I've looked at books that are um, by uh, more like black authors that might have um, and, and different cultures and things like that and different topics in different books that 
as my child gets older, I like to educate him and have him um, read more about so he gains more of, a, of an understanding. Because, and like I said, with COVID, we're limited. Kids aren't even going out the same way. They're, they're virtual and they're with their same family. And if they grow up with that for, I don't know, a year or two, it's that's all they're exposed to. So I want to make sure that um, I wanted to pick an organization and we wanted to come together and pick an organization that's that's something that it really like builds that foundation in children to be able to be more inclusive and have a better understanding and be more welcoming to other other kids. So I, and we created a 5K and a 10K and it is October 24th to November 1st is when you can sign up. And it's online, you do it through your, your watch and then you just upload your time after. And the fee is only $25 and it's going all to um, Embrace Race. So it's it's really, it's it's a great organization and and Jen, who I work with at Elite Feats, is the organization that, that put the race together. Um, and again, we, we put the race together and we're, I guess you could say, sponsors. And then um, we're giving those proceeds to Embrace Race. So, um, yeah. Yeah. That, that is awesome. I'm, I might even uh, get out of retirement or running to, just to do that. <laughs> so if yeah. I may... I yeah, and you could if if you you like if you had a tough day of golf, you know, mm -hmm, you could you could do a five k and just walk it. You could just do it through. It's just three point one, so you could just walk it too. So if it's um, it was just a nice way that we wanted to come together to provide something for the community, and especially an organization like that. That's just I feel like it's just from the goodness of people's hearts. So it's I I fell in love with the organization. So I hope that uh that people sign up. <laughs> Well, that sounds awesome, and I think it's yeah. very much needed. Very much needed. So, mm -hmm. very so, cool. So, so, kind of a completely uh, great. That, that's all the questions I have, Jeremy. I don't know if you have anything else, but that was I, that was so much fun. <laughs> I know. I can't it's, oh my gosh! So, it's so right on that. Right on that same note, it was. Uh, we have a foster daughter. She's black, and so it's interesting to just to think about like she should be exposed to other races because our mm -hmm. family is white you know, like at our house and her parents, my parents are right. And so it's like, we probably need to like, it's hard with the COVID, but we probably need to make sure she's seeing people who are Hispanic, people who are black. And mm -hmm. I, I didn't really think about that because, you know, it's just, how old topic. is she uh, right now? She is six months. Okay. So that, that's what was interesting too, is I felt like, Oh, well, Declan's one. So I'm like, but it's crazy though. They show that preference, even that young, because that's what they're around. And, and, and it's tough for me to speak on it at the same time because every person has a different background. So I don't, I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure how I approach it with my son is, is the most appropriate too, because I'm coming from Long Island, you know, where I honestly, I'm, like I said, my family's white and I'm from primarily a white community. So I, I, it's also tough for me to be able to discuss certain things because I, I don't know what it's like, you know, being someone who's Hispanic or someone who's black or someone I, I can't really. So I feel like it's a great organization because it helps you to um, they give you brochures and different things that you can talk about with your child or how you should word things or how you should phrase them so they can gain a, a deeper understanding, too. So I think it's great for parents, too, in general, just for anybody to, to gain a better understanding. But. So that's cool. I, again, I, I just never even really thought about that because the mm -hmm. area that we're in is predominantly Hispanic. And so it's not mm -hmm. like she's around a bunch of like only white community, but 
she doesn't leave the house. So she is around only white people. So it, yeah. it is, it is definitely something to think about and we'll continue to, to grow with that. So, all right. That's so amazing go. though. That's so amazing. What's her name? I can't share that. It's. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, yeah. So we can't, we can't share that information publicly, but, um, yes. So here well, we go. Well, that's beautiful what you guys are doing. That's right. Thank you very much. Dr. Nimchek. Nimchek. Yeah. I, I was practicing it in my head. I was practicing it in my head and then we got distracted. I knew it. I told you. I always, Nimchek. So Dr. Natalie. So if you look at natalie.dbt on Instagram, you'll see her. Or you go to Revolution Running Company or Revolution Running Physical Therapy. Again, Natalie natalie.dpt on Instagram. And then you yeah. don't have to worry about misspelling or missing. That's it, natalie.dpt. <laughs> so that's, that's a great way. Uh, Natalie and I have been going back and forth on Instagram for like a week, uh, just communicating that way. So she's she's on there and, and really good at communicating uh, on their Instagram. So she's got her rev running PT as well on Instagram. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to get a hold of her, you got more questions like Keith did, check her out mm -hmm. here up there. Uh, again, Natalie, N A T. A L I E dot D P T on Instagram, and then she'll get back with you there. So that, you don't screw up the last thing <laughs> like I've done over and over again. <laughs> of course, Todd, if you search Todd Sable on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you'll find him there. And he's been on the podcast multiple times. Uh, so it's again, <clears throat> this was all Todd's idea. He reached out to Natalie and said, Hey, let's do this on, on the podcast. So, Todd, thanks for getting everything ready. Natalie, it's it's been a fun conversation, and I've definitely learned. It's a blast. And hopefully, yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Hopefully, I'll do some warm ups and prevent some of these <laughs> you know, little clicking and popping, nagging type things as I as I'm getting close to forty. So, um, <laughs> she has she. I'll have all the resources and things listed, and I've included some of the links to like Whoop Band that they talked about, or Embrace Race, or uh, sign up for the five k because this should uh, release like just a couple of days after the sign up for the race starts or the completion of the race starts. So if you want to check that out as well. Um, and then one of the things that she mentioned was MedBridge. So Dr. Natalie said MedBridge was one of the ways she did courses. So if you want to use the code DSMB, it'll save you like 200 bucks or something like that. Um, and, you know, use that. So check out MedBridge if you want to go that way to get some of those running courses. And then I am actually, oh, see, I misspelled that. So this is going to be sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash running medicine. So in the beginning, I said Natalie DPT. So either of those links will work. So I'm, I just changed it for running medicine because that's what we're talking about here. Um, but then Natalie DPT, so you can make sure you can find Natalie that way. So sportsmedicinebroadcast.com slash running medicine or Natalie DPT. And then that way you can link to the podcast, the resources, the show notes, and, and an easy way to contact either Todd or Natalie. So for Jeremy Jackson, Dr. Natalie, so I don't screw up the last name, and Todd, <laughs> Todd Sable and the Sports Medicine Broadcast, that is a wrap. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you.